Hello, I'm Becky Umbers, and I'm on Bean Break with Blake. Indeed she is. Welcome to this week's episode of Bean Break. As she said, we have the amazingly funny Becky Umbers. So, Becky, who are you? <laughs> uh, well, well, that's a loaded question. Uh, I'm just Becky Umbers. Um, I do stand-up comedy. Um, only recently sort of uh, made my TV debut and... Um, on Seven Days and a couple other shows we've got in the works. Rabble Rousers, which is a random new one. Check it out if you want. It's pretty good, actually. I quite enjoyed it. Um, yeah, that's me. I also work on the project. You might have seen me there. So, yeah, I'm just a small, squeaky girl <laughs> looking to make people laugh. Awesome. How did you get started at, um, in comedy? Uh, I, well, I studied, I also studied radio, um, I did communications at AUT and one of our assignments, uh, for one paper was to do a performance of some kind and I did a speech, which was basically stand-up. Um, I'd always sort of, I'd always loved stand-up, but it always kind of was one of those things you think, oh no, I'm not. I'm not funny enough to do that. Like, I'm not, I could never, you know, it's one of those unrealistic seeming, unachievable kind of careers because you always think, like, all, people always ask me, how did you start? And I, it is one of those things that there's no course, there's no school, um, there's no job expo. So I, um, yeah, never thought I would do it, but then I did this speech and my lecturer said, that was really good, Becky, you should, you should try stand-up, you should go to the classic. And I thought about it for about a year <laughs> and then I did try it and I went to the classic and I did what you call Raw, um, which is their rookie nights, which used to be on Mondays. Um, I just emailed Scott and said, can I have a spot? And you prepare five minutes and then you do your spot and you go home. I brought some friends along for sort of laugh insurance <laughs> and um, and then did my spot. I thought that was fun and went home. And then I got an email from Scott a few days later saying, come back, we want you to do another one. And I was like, oh, cool. Just did another one, went home. Then I got an email from Scott saying, you're into the semifinals. And I was like, semifinals of what? <laughs> I haven't entered anything, but the raw, uh, the raw spots are, it is a competition. Um, so they run it throughout the year and they eventually have a, during the comedy fest is the final. And it's, yeah, the kind of big rookie competition in New Zealand. Uh, people from Wellington and I believe we do Christchurch as well, um, around the, all around the place. Yeah, so I made the semi-finals, and then I made the final, and I was like, "Whoa, maybe this is something I should should do." So then I just kind of kept chipping away at it, and now it's it's my real job, which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> how would you describe your um, style of comedy, and how would you say it's evolved? Um, I think I'm quite self-deprecating. Uh, it's probably a big. I kind of I make a lot of jokes about myself. I'm also maybe storyteller, but I do think I am evolving a little bit into a little bit of sort of commentary on things, um, you know, observational. Um, it's kind of a mishmash, but I do feel, I mean, with my squeaky voice, I do feel I have to acknowledge it. So that I, the self-deprecating probably comes a bit from there, from feeling I need to be like, oh yes, this is, this is my real voice. This is how I sound all the time. Uh, so yeah, that's probably me. As you mentioned your voice, it is 
quite unique, um, some would say. <laughs> um, has it been the source of much bullying? And have you always, has your voice always been squeaky, even when you were younger? Yeah, it's always been squeaky. Um, I only kind of recently, we've kind of figured out that it's, um, I always had a lot of ear trouble when I was younger. Um, and my adenoids, which are a little gland kind of thing in the back of your ear and throat kind of your eustachian tubes or something like that um are too large and and so they kind of block and so it's it's less of a like it's a squeak but it's kind of a nasally kind of thing and that's uh we think what it is or what my doctor thinks what what it is but for years I went to Speech therapy, speech lessons, um, it was like this horrible kind of conversion therapy for <laughs> squeaky kids. Um, and yeah, and I, would, I can put on a deeper voice, but it's quite uncomfortable. I kind of have to, you know, talk through the uh, front of my head. And you could kind of still tell that there's a bit of squeak there. Um but so I could kind of do it, and my speech teacher would be like, "See, you can do it." And I'd be like, "It hurts." Um, and so, yeah, so I wasn't really a victim of bullying for it. People would make the odd comments. I mean, it, it, the worst would be, I mean, every party I go to, you know, people go, "Oh my god, is that your real voice?" Or people, always oh, people don't believe me. You know, there has been the odd drunken guy who's like, "Stop talking like that." Stop, why the fuck are you talking like that? And I had to be like, bro, this is genuinely how I sound. Like, I do not. Of all the voices, why would I choose to sound like this, you know? It's not like choosing your phone ringtone. I was like, oh, yeah, squeaky chipmunk, that's the one for me. It's going to get me the respect I deserve. So, no, I not, I wouldn't say bullying, but a lot of inquisitions and um, curious, curious folk at parties, which has led to the odd meltdown. But... You know, I mean, it's of the ailments. It's it's not it's not bad. It's I I mean, it's obviously helped for comedy. You know, it makes me unique, stand out a bit. <laughs> Would you call yourself a confident person? Um, yeah, I have always been pretty confident. I think um, I was probably more confident when I was younger. Kind of, I think as as you get older, most people tend to go, oh, it's it's hard out here. <laughs> um, so you do get, you know, you get those knocks. But I do think I'm pretty confident in myself, confident enough to not be bothered by the voice. You know, I could maybe one day get surgery and get my adenoids removed. Um, it's not sort of super recommended. But, you know, that maybe would help my voice. Um, another comedian actually is Joe Damon, who said he, he told me, he's like, I used to have a voice kind of like yours. I used to be kind of squeaky. And then I had my adenoids removed and it was gone. So only difference between me and Joe Damon is he's got no adenoids. <laughs> <laughs> would you ever go through with that surgery? Um, no, I think I like it now. You know, it's kind of, it's a big part of my identity. I don't, I think if I had it removed now, I'd be lost. I'd be like, who am I? Um, and I, I think it suits my personality anyway, or maybe my personality's grown into the voice, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I think to do it now would be a huge change. Um, the only reason I would do it is if, you know, my ear aches come back in, in a big way, then I would, and then if the doctor said, you should do this, then I would do it. <laughs> What were the lockdowns like for you? Did oh, you enjoy them? God. <laughs> <laughs> the first lockdown was tricky. My boyfriend had just moved over. We'd been doing long distance for a while. He'd been in Sydney and he moved over literally probably like two weeks before the first lockdown. And so we had gone from 
long distance to zero distance at all. Uh, he moved into my room in my flat, and then which was not built for two people. Uh, <laughs> he had all his stuff in a, the laundry cupboard in the hall, and all my flatmates went home. So then it was literally just the two of us, uh, and it was quite an adjustment. It was really fun for the first for most of it. Um, we had a lot of good times. But then, right at the end, I spilt wine on his $10,000 work laptop, which did not go down well. Uh, and he was very understanding. It was an accident. You know, we were at the coffee table. Um, I was having my Friday work Zoom drinks. He was playing games. <laughs> and um, and I just knocked the coffee table and knocked the glass onto the keyboard. Uh, but his work was not very understanding. <laughs> and we're almost going to make him pay for it, like take it out of his pay, which is crazy because they have insurance and these things happen and you're working from home. Like, could it, you know, you expect the old coffee or water to land on your computer. Um, so that didn't – so then it was this awkward – tension of me feeling absolutely terrible um and him being like no it's fine but inside being like ah <laughs> <laughs> oh and then and then we um opened up our bubble because it was just it was right on the last week and so then we went to was it level three where you could kind of hang out with a couple of or you or you could do takeaways Mm. And then, yeah, and we had a friend nearby. There was just two of them in their flat. And so we <laughs> opened up a bubble to them so that we could be with people who were not each other for <laughs> once, which was uh, good to ease the tension. But other than that, it was really nice. The long lockdown, obviously no one loved that. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, and I mean, everyone kind of thinks, oh, you should be writing, you know, you can just everyone all comedians we were like this is going to be great we'll just sit at home and write comedy but but it's the most uninspiring time you like nothing's going on and i personally write a lot of material i just when it happens you know Mm. it's kind of anecdotal (laughs) but nothing was happening so it was not not as inspiring and uh sort of beneficial as we first thought as comedians what did you do to fill your time during lockdown Oh, God. Well, I was working. I was working right there. I was working for MediaWorks. So I was working from home, um, which was good to keep my days busy, um, but was kind of stressful. You know, you kind of end up working weird hours and you end up doing work at like 10 o'clock at night when normally you leave the office, you leave work. But because home is now the office, it kind of blends, everything kind of bleeds into your everyday life. Um, but I had, in the long one, I had me and my other two flatmates, uh, who were crazy. We did a lot of just crazy stuff. I think we spent one night where we did, oh, did the classic pub crawl around your bedrooms, you know, different themed bars. Um, and we ended up in the bathroom, uh, at one of the bars where we, where we just stayed until like three in the morning. We were just in there dancing, wasted. Uh, for like three hours, which was actually one of, I look back at some of those times as some of the best times of my life. <laughs> like I really do look back at part of lockdown fondly. I'm very lucky that I had, you know, a nice house, um, nice people around me and I was very, and I had a job. Um, so income wasn't a big worry at the time. Were you excited to get back to working in person and for comedy shows to start up again once lockdowns were over? Fuck yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was gagging for it. We all were, I think. I mean, a couple people tried 
um, to start Zoom gigs. And honestly, it was awful. Oh. Uh, they did. And I, even like open mics they tried, which is especially terrible. Even like, have you been paying attention? Did that over Zoom? Um, I didn't do it, but you know, they tried to, tried to, and it was, that was probably the better one because kind of buzzing in you can but otherwise all the other formats you're just talking over each other um electric kiwi did a couple of zoom gigs where but doing stand-up to a zoom crowd like doing stand-up to no laughter is so demoralizing um and so i think everyone everyone was like grateful for the money um but i from what i've heard from it no one <laughs> super enjoyed doing them um i don't know how many people watched them uh, so we were all definitely glad to be back gigging in real life. But then audiences have definitely changed since COVID. You know, people were so used to being in their houses and watching TV that people forgot to laugh out loud. So audiences were definitely quieter for a while. It's They're kind of coming back now, but they're still a little bit different. People are still a bit hesitant to go out, so you can't sell out a room as often as you used to. Like the classic has cut down on nights they do. Um, and change things around purely because there's just not the numbers of people uh, quite yet. I think it'll it's almost there, but yeah, it's still you know. Or people buy tickets. There's still like you'll you'll sell forty tickets and then twelve. There's more no shows, you know, because people get COVID or mm. people have symptoms and they can't come out. Yeah, would you say you um, were more extroverted after the lockdowns? No, definitely more introverted. I feel like I got used to being inside and I got comfortable. And now I, I, I don't know. I've talked to a few people who said they kind of feel this. And it's like before I was always, if there was an option to go socialize, I would pick that. But now I kind of go, oh, but I could just stay home and watch Harry Potter. You know? <laughs> and whereas I never would have done that before. I was always keen to... I was packing my calendar full of social events. And now I'm definitely... I mean, part of it's probably I'm just getting old. <laughs> and I'm not as keen to go out. I'm just tired and I'm busy. But also I definitely think it made me more introverted. And I found it was a, a huge adjustment, I think. We all found coming back to interacting with people. And I think I... And a, a few of my friends are quite, an, are quite a secretly anxious person. Um, and I think I would really overthink, like, do people are people going to like me when I come back? Am I still funny? Am I still, like, can I still hold a conversation? Um, and so I would stress out about that before social events, which I wouldn't used to have done. Hmm. Did you learn anything about yourself over the lockdowns? I definitely learned to be more comfortable with my own company, which was something I was trying to work on before. Uh, so it was kind of good for me in a way because I was extroverted to a fault. You know, I, I needed to be around people all the time. I couldn't be alone with my own thoughts um, or I would just get depressed. <laughs> and so, which is actually a reason that I love radio so much because it was like having someone there, you know, having having an inner monologue going to stop your own inner monologue. So if I was ever home alone, I'd put the radio on and be like, talk to me, <laughs> someone. Um, but now I'm much better at just being quietly comfortable in my own company. So that was definitely a benefit. That's good. 
I personally actually first discovered you on TikTok um, oh. through the lockdowns, <laughs> um, yeah, um, which I thought was quite cool. And then I got to see you at the Dice Show.、Oh. Um, how did you get involved with the Dice Show? Oh,、um, I don't even know.、Um, bloody Stephen. He <laughs> just collared me one day, I think. I mean, I'm good friends with Hannah, who was in the Dice Show, and she kind of was tapping me, and obviously Stephen. And then Stephen was,、uh, I think Hannah was very keen for another female to be like a regular female.、Um, and then, yeah, Stephen, I've worked with quite a lot、um, and get along with, so he was keen to have me, and I was just keen to get more improv experience. You know, it's really good for things like crowd work and just being more comfortable. Um, not stuck in a rigid, you know. I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to talk about that. But if it's good to, it's really helped me be more comfortable. If someone does yell something out, or you know, I can go with it and keep keep on rolling. <laughs> We've had Stephen Lyons on the、um, show before, and man, can he talk! <laughs> <laughs> How did you come to meet Stephen? Uh, I think just through comedy, just on lineups,、um, you meet most comedians. Is in green rooms, you know, at the classic probably,、um, just in the green room at the classic, and on one of those horrible couches. You're <laughs>、uh, <laughs> all on the same lineup, and you go, "Hi, I'm blah blah blah," and then you see them at open mics, and you just chat, and then yeah. What's it like as a comedian going to watch other comedians perform? Are you able to sit back and enjoy a show, or are you still constantly like, are you critiquing them in your head and trying to think of jokes that would be better than what they've just said? Ah,、uh, yes. <laughs> it's, it's very well known between all of us that comedians are the worst audiences because we are sitting there going, you know, <laughs> often you're instead of I'm quite good. I do still laugh out loud,、um, and but I I think it's a conscious laugh out loud. You know, you go, oh, that's funny laugh,、um, because you are thinking. Oh, that's a good joke, and a lot of you know a comed. If you watch a comedian, watch comedy, a lot of the time you're seeing them go, "That's funny, <laughs> that's a great gag." You know, it's not. You know, <laughs> they're not relaxed, and they're constantly going. Like I went and saw Chris Rock on Sunday,、um, and it was concert with a couple other comedians, and we were going, "Oh, yeah, that's good." Ah,、oh, that's interesting. You know, like you're kind of, or you're going. Oh, I would have said, you know, like there's more you can do with that. <laughs> I would have gone down this angle.、Um, so we're definitely、um, we're terrible audiences, but <laughs> I do make a conscious effort to laugh out loud. <laughs> but then that's also if it's my friend, you know, then I'm gonna laugh. I mean, there are some comedians that <laughs> that、um, who do. Material that they've had for years that we all know and love, and you'll be in a crowd. And I was at a show in last year's festival, and it's、um, a guy called Edamon who has some great gags that, and they're like quite one-linery.、Um, <laughs> they're just real signature Ed jokes, and all the comics we love them. And it was funny being at this gig because there was a row of comedians in the back, and there was the general crowd, and they would laugh at the joke, and you could see the comedians going, uh, 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 like almost lip syncing his set because we've we've seen them before when he's been testing it out and you know figuring it because that's what you do you test out your stuff before your festival show.、Um, And we were waiting for our favourite ones, and the laugh from the comedians was like too loud. You know, you were、mm. like, "Why are they laughing so much at that <laughs> joke?" It was because we love it and we love it.、Um, and it's yeah, there's a lot of 
um, there's a lot of that goes on, you know, like I have definitely have several jokes where I hear the comedians laughing and they go, why are you laughing so hard at that joke? You've heard it a million times. In instances like that, are you ever laughing before the punchlines come up? Um, yeah. Yeah, all the time. I go, oh, I love this one. <laughs> so they go, oh, so fun. How would you say New Zealand comedy is, would you say it's different to comedy in other places in the world, like the States? Um, yeah, I mean, I've never done live comedy in the States. Obviously, it's most of the comedy you see on TV. Um, I think I've done comedy recently in Sydney and I found New Zealand, New Zealand audiences are famously, I mean, what I've heard um, from people who have gigged in the States and stuff, New Zealand audiences are famously quiet. Um, we're, we're very reserved, which is not surprising at all um, about a nation who cannot talk about their feelings <laughs> to say themselves. Um, and so that is that is kind of the the stereotype of New Zealand audiences. Um, Comedian-wise, I found in Sydney, uh, I don't know if this is, this is, and I've talked to a couple of people and I think this is kind of a just an Australian thing is there. Maybe in Melbourne, it's I've heard it slightly less like this, but they were a little bit more dicey, you know, spicy. I was like, oh, that would be not, you know, not very PC, we should mm. say. And I was like, oh, you couldn't say that in New Zealand. You know, they're towing the line. Nothing, you know, they weren't being racist or sexist or, you know, horrible, um, discriminatory, but they had jokes on, thing, you know, and I was like, oh, um, and the audience was loving it. And I was like, oh, okay, this is just the style is slightly more um, shock, you know, mm. shock comedy is more prevalent. And I think that's slightly more prevalent in America, but I could be wrong. Um, and everyone always says, you know, British humour is way wittier and blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> but that, again, I think that is unfair to New Zealand comedy. I think that's a stereotype of um, Britain. And I think maybe when in the beginning New Zealand comedy was like that, when it was kind of taken, uh, people were trying to copy America. Um, but I think there's so many clever comics in New Zealand right now. Like Ray O'Leary is so witty. Um, everyone from Liv McKenzie, um, Josh Thompson, Ben Hurley, they're geniuses. Um, and I think to say that British humour is more witty um, is, is unfair. <laughs> How did your, like, with TV3 and, like, Seven Days and the project come around? Um, oh, gosh. It's literally all comedy work is just networking. I mean, not networking, but just gigging and gigging and gigging and meeting people who know other people and having people see you, having people see, oh, she's funny and she can improv and she can she can make jokes, she can write jokes, she can present jokes, she can tell jokes, you know, she's got timing, blah, blah, blah. It's just people seeing you. So, like, I knew Tony, um, Tony Lyle from the project, uh, just through gigging, and he was kind of the one. They Oh, they did put in, um, they did put a job advert up and then someone put it in the comedian's Facebook page. There's a Facebook page for like the classic um, and just for open mics and stuff. Um, it's like Auckland Comedy Community or something. Um, I probably shouldn't give that away actually. It's a secret group. I mean you can't join it if you're not a comedian so it'll <laughs> be fine. But um, yeah so someone put it in there and then I applied. I actually didn't get it at first. Another girl got it but then she moved to Australia and um, so thank you, Floyd, if you're listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, I decided known Tony. Tony'd seen me around, and uh, that's how I kind of got the job. And then yeah, seven days was again people seen me around, and kind of you just get shoulder tapped, and then you. 
kind of help them write scripts for a while and they then they check out your writing and then they go, oh, yeah, maybe we could. And I actually got seven days um, because of COVID. So <laughs> COVID giveth, COVID taketh away. Uh, but COVID, yeah, and so a lot of the comics on, which I think I probably got COVID at the same time, um, but a lot of the comedians who were meant to be on seven days that week were got COVID. And so they had like four people pull out, which was, you know, like a third of the panel more. Um, and so I was, I was a last resort, <laughs> but, um, so I initially wasn't going to be on until next year sort of thing they were thinking, but COVID bumped me up. And so there I was. Um, but then the next day I did come down with COVID. So, you know, COVID giveth, COVID taketh away. <laughs> What are the behind the scenes like um, for those who don't really know uh, for of, those kinds of shows? Of project, oh, oh, the project, project in seven days. Um, oh, it, they're lovely. Everyone is so nice. I always tell everyone Jeremy Corbett is the nicest man in television. Um, like unnecessarily nice, you know, where he just pops in and goes, oh, great scripts today, guys. Great. Oh, so good. How are you? Blah, blah, blah. You know, and I'm like, you don't need to do this. You're a busy man. But thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, so like I'll... My job at the project, I help Corbett find those funny videos for the Daily Dose and we'll try find funny stories um, to talk about and then we'll help him write scripts. Um, a lot of it, his, like his gags and stuff are off the cuff and or he writes them or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how that all works. Is he yeah. still very involved with the writing? Yeah, yeah, he's very involved and he's a genius, you know, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, we could say this about the script, you know, like we start with a funny intro, you know, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, we could, I'll write a kind of intro and he'll be like, I like the idea and then he'll change it completely. It's still the same idea, but he just flips it around and it's so much better. You're like, yep, that, yep, that is way better. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do during the days as a day job? Oh, so I do the project Thursdays and Fridays, um, and then the other days I just get filled with random stuff. Like yesterday I was filming this um, TV show called Patriot Brains, which is going to be on the second season, and uh, it's coming up soon. And then today I'm here, uh, <laughs> and then I'm actually doing the project today as well. Um, and then like there's warm-up, you know, so warm-up uh, is a lot of good, that's a lot of comedians kind of uh, steady income. The, their most regular gig is for, so for shows like Seven Days, uh, The Project, um, Have You Been Paying Attention, all those kinds of shows where you need an audience to be laughing. Um, you have someone come in and just chat to them, tell them some jokes and just get them warmed up and used to laughing and making noise because otherwise the audience come in stone cold and they just sit there. And there's also a lot of downtime in like the ad breaks or we have to do re retakes sometimes, um, not for the project, projects all live but that in the air breaks it is dead silent if there's no warm-up person so the warm-up person you you kind of pop in and go oh what did you guys think of that story and oh, and you make jokes and you chat to them and you get to know them and then yeah seven days in the downtime when they're going when they're fiddling with people's microphones and they're trying to get people set up or topping up people's drinks and stuff that warm-up person is constantly chatting to the crowd and going hey and and bigging up the panel as well you know like oh this is blah 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 you know you have them introduced and then walk on and it's like woohoo hmm. so everyone gets excited awesome what's been your best and or worst moment on stage or on screen oh my god best moment no, let's start with worst. And let's, <laughs> Work let's, up. No, no, no. Worst moment, I honestly don't know. I mean, I have had 
um, the odd heckle that's like very um, very misogyn- misogynistically motivated, you could say. Um, those are kind of lame, but they're pre- fairly easy to shut down. You know, people yell things out and are very confident in the in their pre-prepared sentence and are often not prepared for you to re- respond, you know. So even sometimes it's as simple as going, what was that? And then they go, oh, no, no, no. Uh, But also you have the microphone, which is a real power. You know, you have the power and the room is on your side. Unless you're bombing, doing terribly, then the heckle will go down quite well. Uh, But if the heckle, if you've got the room, if you're doing well, then the audience is on your side and they are probably going to hate this heckler more than you. So, um, yeah, I haven't really had any terrible moments on stage. I've had blank moments where I've just blanked and gone, oh, my God, what do I talk about? Um, One time I had a gig that was at a university and I had to follow, I was still fairly new and I had to follow David Correos who is incredible and so funny and he's super high energy um, and then I came on, I'm not very high energy and I'm not as funny as David Correos and then I came on after him and was like hello and then I just lost confidence very early and the crowd can feel that as soon as you lose confidence you lose the crowd and I um, couldn't really bring it back I got a few giggles but that's probably my worst gig. Um, and my boyfriend had come along to watch me, which was horrible. <laughs> um, and, but my best moment, oh, God, there's been so many. Um, like I recently did the comedy store um, and in Sydney and Rove popped in, which is someone I've watched on TV since I was so small. Every Friday I would watch Rove live. Um, and so that was crazy to meet him and be on the same lineup as him. That was wild. Um, and yeah, pe- even meeting people like Corby, you know, the fact that I work with Corby, who I have watched on TV since I was 10 and I was allowed to watch seven days, you know, <laughs> um, is, is wild. So there's those pinch me moments happen all the time. And it's very sick. Like being on seven days actually is probably a highlight a recent highlight. Like I have always loved that show and I think it's such a staple of New Zealand comedy. Um, to be on it was an honour. <laughs> when you have one of those pinch me moments, how do you ground yourself and keep yourself in the moment so you don't end up fangirling? Oh, well, like seven days, I was, I didn't have the pinch me moment till after. I was very much like, oh my God, I'm on seven days. Like, get your head in the game, focus. And I was so nervous. I was luckily on with people that I know and who were so nice. Like I was on, my team was Guy Montgomery and Chris Parker, who was so lovely. And then even on the other team um, was Chris, uh, sorry, Reese Nicholson, who I had met before, who's incredible and so nice. And then Alice Sneddon, who's lovely. And I can't, oh, and Guy Williams, who I've worked with a few times. And they're all so nice. And so it was, it was an easy kind of, you know, you were hanging out with your friends kind of. Um, but in the moment I was very much like head down, think of gags, come on, like perform, perform. And you're, there's so much adrenaline that you're not thinking at all of like, I'm on seven days. And then it wasn't until after we went out for drinks afterwards. And then I got in the Uber to go home and I was like, oh my God, I was just on seven days. (laughs) And that's when it hit me. Um, so moments like that, yeah, you kind of just, the adrenaline is so much. And once you walk out on the stage and you see like a big crowd, the adrenaline, it kind of just takes over and you don't have to ground yourself. You kind of are just like, ah, go. (laughs) It's like sink or swim. (laughs) And so you fucking swim. (laughs) (laughs) Who inspires you? And do you take inspiration from other forms of art? Ooh, um, oh gosh, who inspires me? I mean, everyone. 
Um, honestly, even like my friends, you know, like Ray O'Leary, Liv McKenzie, um, Jack Ansett, they all inspire me. Ruby Esther, I can't name everyone and now everyone's going to be offended if I didn't name them. <laughs> um, but yeah, they all inspire me and I love, I love all comedians. I'm a big fan of a lot of British comedians, um, like I'm inspired probably people like Hannah Gadsby, um, you know, who managed to do something really meaningful with their comedy uh, because I think comedy is one of those mediums where you can catch people off guard and you can get people really thinking because if someone comes to a speech or a TED talk, they've got to be someone who's kind of prepared for what you're going to say and they're here to listen. But if someone's coming to stand-up comedy, um, they could be, you know, some right-wing conservative guy who's just out for a good time and he's going to yell at you, show us your tits. Um, But then if you kind of lull them into it, you get them in and you tell them jokes and you get them laughing and then you mention these things that you really need to get people thinking about, I think that's a really really powerful part of stand-up comedy. Um, So, yeah, people like that. And, yeah, other, other art forms I do... Love um, musical comics, uh, very clever. Um, they're so funny. Like Flight of the Concords, obviously. Um, but I mean, there's loads out there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess as stand up comedy is an art form, and you do kind of look at other art around you and see what everyone is doing, and because you do need to be commenting on society and you do need to be kind of up to date and you do need to be doing something meaningful a little bit I think as much as I mean making people laugh is really meaningful and is really important in these times and so yeah awesome if you had to give your youngest a version of yourself some advice or someone who was just tr- starting in comedy what would you say to them oh just starting in comedy I mean, it's going to be weird. There's going to be some rubbish open mic gigs that you have to perform to four people. But that is important. That is worth it. And just keep chipping away. It is one of those things you just have to keep chipping away at. And you go, oh, I would love to just do, you know, a fun gig to like 200 people where the audience is real hot and I just come on and do my funny stuff. But in the beginning, you're going to have to do those harder gigs where the audience is like, maybe the audience doesn't even want to be listening to comedy. They're just in a bar where you've set up an open mic and they're trying to eat their dinner or have a drink and chat to their friend. And it's those kind of gigs that it sucks that you have to do them at the start when you're least prepared for them. Um, But that's where you really kind of cut your teeth and it's where people see you and go, oh, and then you get booked for better gigs and you just chip away at it and eventually it'll be enough for you to live on. Awesome. (laughs) Now that you've been on the show, who would you want to hear on the show? Who would you want to be in the box and be interviewed? Oh, I don't know. Um... What what do you what do we want out of people? Anyone we need some scandals out of? <laughs> um, I feel like there's a lot of comedians in New Zealand with some great stuff to talk about um, that I'd love to know more about, especially like some of the newer newer people, you know, like Ray O'Leary, um, James Musterpick, those kinds of guys. Liv McKenzie, God, she loves a yarn. She would love this. Um. But who do you want on the podcast, Blake? What are you getting out of us? Why do you do this podcast? Tell me. Why do I do this podcast? Because uh, it's good fun. Uh, podcasting is something I 
well, originally through this course, it was something we had to do to pass the course, but I've actually fallen in love with podcasting and interviewing people in general, which is quite ironic, uh, lots of my friends like to say, because I am the anxious one of the friend group. I'm the nervous, quiet one lots of the time. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting experience for me, being talking to someone for an hour or so after meeting them for two minutes. Aha. I guess that's good for you. Makes you a good listener, often, being... Mm being anxious <laughs> we <laughs> analyze everything people say <laughs> this is true we do <laughs> and what are you up to now and where can the people find you oh gosh i'm up to random stuff uh we've got if you haven't watched it already rabble rousers is a cool new show um please watch it i hope it gets another season because it was really fun to do um and then yeah i'll be coming up on this i'll be coming up on the next season of patriot brains uh, which I'm not sure when that comes out soon. That's with TVNZ. Otherwise, just follow my Facebook. It's probably the best place to find me, which is just Becky Umbers. Don't follow my personal ones because I put nothing good on there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Becky, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Thank you for having me.